is a killer on the loose. I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's a he or a she. But if I were a resident of Boulder, I would tell my friends to keep Disclaimer, in this chapter we will be discussing the murder of child John Benet Ramsey. Some of the details may be upsetting or triggering for some listeners, so please don't listen if you are sensitive to this topic. This is going to be the only warning. Hello, everyone. How to start this one off. So, okay. Do you have, like, like any warnings for... <clears throat> Because nobody has been charged, correct? Anyone discussed, you should say that, yeah. Fuck. Well, we can just do that right now. <laughs> because Berg absolutely loves suing people. Really? Yeah. Can they sue people in Canada? <laughs> How's that work? We just have to be very careful about how we approach things, that's all. And we will be, so this is our disclaimer now. The episode's already started, but just saying, everybody discussed in this chapter is innocent until proven guilty these are all theories Mm -hmm. our own opinions Mm -hmm. and total total speculation but but (laughs) and i think we should say nothing after the but and listeners know what we're saying Mm -hmm. so let's get into it this is probably one of the most publicized and well-known true crime cases in the history of unsolved murders. If you're going to do a deep dive on the JonBenet Ramsey case, you are looking at multi-part episodes to to deal with every single facet of information that's come out over the years. I am not going to do a deep dive into the actual crime. This case, like I said, is so well-known to the true crime community I'm going to do a rundown of the timeline just to catch everybody up in case there's anything anybody forgot. But I want to talk about some of the interviews and suspects from over the years. If you are looking for a good deep dive, I would recommend True Crime Garage. They did a multi-part series a while back. It's pretty comprehensive. Um, And if that's not your gig, go check out Murder in America. They did another decent deep dive, in my opinion. But as far as my coverage goes, let's get into it. So John Benet Ramsey was born on August the 6th, 1990, to John and Patsy Ramsey. Um, the Ramseys also had a son, nine-year-old Burke, at the time of the crime. Mm-hmm. They were a wealthy family living in Boulder, Colorado. John Ramsey was basically a computer executive. He had his own company. He had just been awarded the Entrepreneur of the Year Award in town. But the family was well-known, well-liked. Patsy, (laughs) well-off. Patsy Ramsey was a former beauty queen herself. Mm -hmm. Um, Spent a lot of time in, still in the pageant circuit, I guess. A lot of people made a big deal of this. I don't know what your opinion is, but... Yeah, no, uh, she John Bonet was not. in those pageants. 
Um, I have my own opinions on it. Do I think it was connected to the crime? No, I don't. Strictly because the internet was in its infancy. There was no viral videos or anything. There was not like thousands of pedophiles watching this stuff. Even though I'm sure they would go to these events... Don't get me wrong. That's what I'm saying. He could, like, my issue with it is that I know that people who put their kids into it don't think this way. But at the bottom line, going from a pedophile's mind, it sexualizes children. Totally. You're dressing your little girl up to look like a woman. You are perfecting their features. You're fixing their teeth. They usually have teeth plates they put in. Uh, They're wearing makeup. Hair extensions. They have really short, skimpy clothes on. Yeah. It's rarely appropriate. What was that show on TLC? Toddlers and tiaras. Yes. Tiaras yes. and toddlers. toddlers yes, and, and that's kind of when you get to see like the the backstage, like the behind the scenes stuff of this. And that's kind of where my opinion changed a little bit because I thought, well, you know, as a mom of two little girls, I just, I never put makeup and fake hair and stuff like that on you guys. But did I think it was cute? Yeah. But also back then in my world, I didn't, I wasn't aware of all of the pedophiles and, and the sick people out there. It wasn't, that wasn't something that was in the forefront of our brains back then. And you know, you were born directly after this crime, Mm -hmm. but still I had a four year old daughter at that time that was, you know, I, I guess I could have been dressing her up and putting makeup on her and stuff. And she was a very girly girl. But it just never occurred to me that that could be dangerous. So to me, it was cute until I saw the behind the scenes stuff. And then I started questioning, okay, this is not quite right. And let's face it, going back to 1996 and 1997, like I said, the internet was just in its infancy. And there was no such thing as a viral video or a viral picture Mm -hmm. until JonBenet Ramsey. Yeah. The day after this crime, maybe a couple of days after this crime, you couldn't see a magazine or, uh, you know, the National Enquirer or something without John Bonet's little face on it. Especially, it went viral in a different way. Exactly. Especially after everybody found out that she was a little pageant beauty queen. Mm-hmm. So that's just to give a little bit of context of what John Bonet's life was like. By all accounts, they had a good, solid Christian family and home life. I want to add one more thing to talking about the pageant stuff there is conspiracies and theorizing that perhaps the brother somehow was Was jealous did it and i'm thinking usually when you're watching the pageant stuff the one child is getting more attention Mm -hmm. and so that could feed into motive that way in that speculation it could i'll give my opinion later (laughs) yeah i mean we're gonna get into the the theories and some of the suspects over the years and some obvious ones <laughs> yeah and just some really troubling information mm-hmm. anyways so on december 25th so christmas of 1996 John Monet, she got a bike for christmas and she was super excited it was just a really great year for both the the ramsey kids um burke would go on to say it was a, a really good christmas they all had fun they went to a christmas party that afternoon um, they had a dinner and they stayed at this party well into the evening, well well after dark. 
After attending the party hosted by the family friend whose name is Fleet White, the Ramseys go home and John Bonet goes to bed. And I think it was decided that John Ramsey was telling the truth when he said that John Bonet fell asleep in the car on the way home and he actually carried her up to bed that night. So some theories say that Jean Monnet snuck back downstairs at some point and fought with her brother over a piece of pineapple because there was undigested pineapple found in her stomach during autopsy. Obviously, we know that on Boxing Day, December 26th at 5.30ish a.m., when Patsy gets up to make coffee, she discovers a two-and-a-half-page handwritten ransom quote note. And that always bothers me because a ransom note, I have your daughter, I want a million dollars, I'll call you later, whatever it is. It's not two and a half pages. This was a ransom letter that Patsy found on the back stairs leading down to the kitchen. The letter basically says, and we'll go through it a little bit more in depth in a little while, but it basically says you will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills, the remaining $18,020 bills. And I mean, strangely enough, that was almost the exact amount that John Ramsey got for a Christmas bonus that year. The letter also said to not call the police. But in any case, Patsy calls 911. It's a well-listened to 911 call. We're going to play just a short clip of it. It's not too long, the whole thing, but I I don't think it's necessary to do the whole thing. We'll have it up on our Patreon, obviously. That 911 call, like I said, was placed and it was relatively short. Um, We're going to talk a little bit in a little while about after Patsy thought she hung up the phone and what some people have been able to hear in an enhanced um, version. But we'll get into that in a few minutes. Right now, we're going to stick to the timeline. So before 6 a.m., Officer Rick French arrives at the home and does a cursory uh, search he pauses by the door that John Bonet was later found behind, but he doesn't open it. The no, door? no, the basement door. So no doors in the basement were actually open during this first search. Which is so wild. What the fuck? Oh. But also, in a sense, like it's weird that they didn't that the the family didn't search the entire home. Yeah, totally. Too. <laughs> it's just weird. Everything's weird. 
Oh, it, uh, it is. Also in that ransom letter, um, the kidnappers say they were going to call uh, between 8 and 10 a.m. with further instructions, where to drop the money off, whatever. So the first detective on the scene, Linda Arndt, the time of the call comes and goes. And by the time 10 a.m. rolls around, Linda Arndt is the only officer left on scene. She has very limited homicide experience so she ends up pulling aside john and fleet white who had come over to console his friends obviously the stress and anxiety was rampant in the house as everybody was waiting for this phone call from the kidnapper that was supposed to happen like i said by 10 a.m but the call never came and so the detective tells john and fleet to do a top to bottom search of the home She's trying to keep them busy, but what she tells them is look for anything out of place, look for anything that could belong to JonBenet, go and have a look and see what you can find around the house. It was during that search where John and Fleet started the, that search in the basement, so it didn't take too long for John to open that door, and he found his daughter there in a spare room, ironically, where the Christmas presents had been hidden the day before. He saw JonBenet's body. He said he opened the door and he knew exactly what he saw as soon as he saw it. He saw a white blanket wrapped around his daughter. Her hands were tied above her head. It looked like she had been strangled and her mouth and neck were covered with duct tape. Before he picked her up, he ripped the duct tape off of her mouth, he said. He also tried to undo the knot around her wrists, but he wasn't able to do it. Her body, this is a little bit this is a little bit disturbing, but her body was also in rigor, so she was stiff. So when he picked her up, her arms stayed extended yeah. above her head. The way that he was carrying her almost out front of his own body seemed unpaternal to the police officer, to this aunt detective. She made kind of a big deal of that mean coming up, but if, you're, if your child is stiff and you're trying to get her to some help, I, I mean, I... How can you possibly relate to judge? Do you no, know what I'm saying? I would like you would clutch your child. You'd be doing everything, like, anything that you could. Uh, yeah. However, I don't know that even in my panic state, I would have tried to pick up my child who was clearly dead. Knowing that there's a police officer upstairs, crime scene, dead body. I, Some people like it's proven that they hate seeing their child like that, that they instantly go into like this panicked mode to try and make them look the way that they're supposed to. Yeah. I don't think like that I'd be able to touch my child just because I'd be scared that that would make it real. And so he did. He picked her up. He ran upstairs after letting out an inhuman scream. So everybody knew something was up and Fleet obviously was downstairs. So they both ran upstairs with JonBenet and laid her on the floor in front of the Christmas tree. The cop came over and kneeled beside JonBenet and felt her, her skin, checked for signs of life. And John looked at her and said, is she dead? And the cop said, yes, she's dead. The cop goes on in a TV interview to say that she got scared of John in that moment. Like she checked to make sure she still had her gun um, because she was so terrified of this man in that moment, which what and what cop retired or not goes on national TV and says that shit about an unsolved case. Like, is it because he like rushed her? Like to say like, is she dead? Like what's going on or something like that? Like 
possible like i don't know i don't know i think to me it sounds reasonable for a father to ask the professional on site is she dead and the professional says yes like what was john's reaction that scared her so badly that she felt the need to check and make sure she still had her gun i could see him like literally like almost like charging like her like no they were both on their knees on either side of john Bonet's little body there was no you know that's weird it it was and unethical in my opinion retired or not totally helped steer the investigation to go askew anyways back to the timeline and so unfortunate that the crime scene was not blocked off they were allowed to call in friends their pastor was there like i said family friends there were people traipsing through the house yeah just completely ruined yeah so john in his mind he's laid jomini down the officer told him yes she's dead now john doesn't want patsy to see jomini like that so he grabs a blanket from off the couch and puts it over top of her now you've got contamination on the actual body yeah let alone what was just contaminated by bringing her upstairs even and then further he puts a colorado avalanche jersey over top of that so now she's got two layers of things not connected to the crime contaminating any physical evidence that can be found on her body physical um, trace evidence anything that can be found on her body yeah and in any case Patsy comes in the room because she hears the commotion. And do you think anybody can stop her from looking at her daughter? No. So, of course, Patsy goes over there, takes the blanket off of her, touches her face. She's wailing, leaning over her daughter's body. And the pastor is standing right there and starts, they think, they can't remember exactly, but they think he started reading last rites type thing and praying Mm -hmm. over the little girl. So, I mean... Just hearing that, you know that this is a complete chaotic shit show. Mm-hmm. Nobody secured the crime scene at all. Which and there's still only the one officer. Like right here, you can tell that things have been moved, right? Mm-hmm. This used to be over here. Yeah. To be, obviously, it was pulled upwards. Yeah. And yeah, so Brie right now is looking at crime scene photos. I haven't decided yet if I'm going to include the autopsy photos on our Patreon, but I nah. certainly will uh, include the house Other photos. Ones, yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't see a benefit in. And the only reason I have these is because of something we're going to get into shortly here. I really want to breed to see something that we're going to talk about. It really comes down to if people want to see that level, it's like okay, go and you, you know they're out there. Yeah, you just go and there. grab them. I personally don't think we'll put that on. No, I don't. Time. I don't think it's right. Nope. <laughs> no, if you want to see them, they're out there. Go find them. I'm not even going to tell you where to look, but yeah, you can just find go them. Look. <laughs> okay, and for much of the day, this same kind of crime scene contamination is going on with people in and out. Obviously, more officers come. At some point, they are told to they're going to have to leave the house. It's a crime scene. But by that point, there's so many people in there, including victim advocates, investigators, you name it. It took somebody, and I don't have the exact person's name, it took somebody to go in there and say, whoa, okay, let's clear this place out. This is an active crime scene. You guys all have to go. What the fuck is going on here? So Fleet White and his wife took Burke with them. Burke supposedly was in bed this whole time, too scared to get up to see what was happening. And one story that I read was that when Patsy 
first went in to check to make sure Burke was there in his bed, she told him to, you stay in here. I will come and get you when you're allowed to get up. Again, like that to me is weird. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to leave my child in a room by themselves after my child got taken supposedly from their room. Mm -hmm. And then also I just feel like that's far-fetched. That's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's weird. It's weird. That's what it comes down to. It's weird. Mm -hmm. So it took until about 10.45 p.m. for the coroner team to come in and actually remove the girl's body from the house. It only took them very few minutes to basically determine that, yes, this child is dead. And But then they remove the child and take them to the med- medical examiner's office. And that happened at about 10.45 p.m. on the 26th. So on December 28th, 1996, the family, so just John and Ramsey, or sorry, John and Patsy, go to the police station and they willingly give hair, blood, and handwriting samples. The police later state that John's grown children that he had from his first marriage, John Andrew and Melinda, were out of town when the murder occurred, so they were not suspected at all. Shortly after, this is another point that I should have mentioned before, shortly after the police arrive at the house and Jamini's body is upstairs and, and all of this chaos is happening, The family is told that this is a crime scene. Everybody has to go. John calls his pilot because he has a private plane. And they he decides he's going to take his wife and Burke to Atlanta. This is where they're originally from. And this is where his grown children live. So they're going to go to Atlanta. A lot of people looked at that as John's way of making a clean getaway um, it was too soon. They hadn't talked to the police yet, blah, blah, blah. And John said, I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to have my family safe. Again, it is sketchy. It, it doesn't like, sound yeah. good. It probably didn't look good for the police. But how can you possibly relate? If you had all yeah. the money and a private jet, I I mean, I can't even relate to speculate what I would do or say. I feel like I could speculate to say that I definitely would not do that. I can. Hmm. But, like, I'm just one person. As a man, as a protector, as a provider. Yeah, um, whatever. (laughs) I don't know. But in any case, on the 29th, the family does end up flying to Atlanta. On December 31st, JonBenet's funeral is held, and she's buried in Marietta, Georgia. That's right um, in Atlanta. Um, And she's buried right next to her older half-sister, Elizabeth, who died in a tragic car accident in 92. Um, There are about 200 people at the ceremony. And then right after the funeral, JonBenet's parents give a 45-minute-long interview to CNN, where they were staying, obviously, with some of their family while the Boulder police had been reassuring the community that there wasn't a murderer on the run, Patsy said on television, there is a killer on the loose. <laughs> um, this is what we listened to in the opening. It is heart-wrenching. Yeah, protect your children or whatever she said there. Keep your children close to you. Yeah, and yeah. <clears throat> the anguish on her face is real. It's real. So on January 2nd of 1997, a team of five detectives from Boulder fly to Atlanta 
The investigators were shocked that the Ramseys granted the TV interview with CNN since they claimed to be too emotional to talk to the police. The next day, detectives revealed that the ransom note was written from inside the house. They found a paper pad that is identical, and they later determined to be the same paper pad that was used to write the note. Subsequently, John and Patsy returned to Boulder without Burke. Where did they find that pad? Just kind of on the other side of the kitchen or something. It was in the house. It was a regular notepad that they used quite often. I remember this because it's like, and I remember seeing what people were saying and I agree with them. Like, what, did the person have time to like go and sit at the kitchen table and write out a friggin' couple pages? And I mean, I do have my own idea and theory about that that I will get into. But another really Is fishy it part of it to John's work. No. Oh. There were also r- reports, like news comes out, and these are leaks by the police, mm-hmm. that there may have been a practice note. Yeah, I remember that. Right. So supposedly Where? there's evidence that the person that wrote the ransom note first practiced it on another piece of paper from the same pad. Weren't ours changed and stuff like that? The way that they would do their R's and stuff. Change like throughout the letter? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because they were trying to hide how they wrote. There, it, did, it didn't, it looked to me like somebody was going between all caps and lowercase. To try and trick. I don't know if there there was that much thought put into it. There's two schools of thought in this. Like you, it's either calculated and diabolically written or it's taking quotes from movies that this individual may have seen recently or it's a mixture of the two is what I'm thinking. Could if be. it was maybe like more internal, the way my mind goes is they're doing the things that they know of and that mm-hmm. the, the, they can think of, but they don't know everything and that's why it gets a little messy sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So by March 7th, handwriting analysis eliminated John, but not Patsy. They're 100% sure that John did not write that ransom note, but say there is a chance that Patsy may have. So in, again, in March of 97, police searched a home in Michigan that the Ramseys also owned. They were looking for unrehearsed handwriting samples to see if Patsy could have wrote that note. Because once, if you bring somebody in and they know you're trying to compare handwriting, they're still going to be disguising their handwriting. So they wanted something that that they knew that the Ramseys hadn't had access to since the crime. So they went to this second home that they owned in Michigan to look for unrehearsed handwriting samples. And, like, can we add that Patsy could have done it is kind of how you phrased it, but, like, we've come pretty far, and obviously, like, specialists and stuff have now looked at it, and they they say that it is highly likely that she wrote it. Like, those people have went out and said that. Like, if you search for those specialists, they say that. Some of them do, and some of them say the opposite. I haven't found ones that don't, so that's fair. Okay. So, April 3rd. It takes until April 3rd for them to start testing any DNA. And by April 19th, John and Patsy officially become the prime suspects. In fact, like, The Boulder District Attorney, Alex Hunter, comes out and says publicly, obviously, the focus is on these two people right here. So again, not only is the police department 
focusing in on the Ramses and not looking for anything outside of that. But now the public has been told by the district attorney that these are the prime suspects. Patsy gives an interview, I guess, interrogation on April 30th that lasts for six and a half hours. Formal interviews are conducted with John for two hours. These new statements replace the initial ones made right after the murder. On May 2nd, 1997, John and Patsy speak to the local press, including a station called Nine News. That's a local station. During this interview, though, John is asked straight out if Jean Bonnet was being sexually molested by him. And John called those the most hurtful innuendos. And Patsy says, I'm appalled that anyone would think John or I could be involved in such a hideous and heinous crime. But let me assure you, I did not kill John Bonnet. Mm-hmm. And if you believe the theory about the brother, then these parents are not lying when they said, I did not kill John Bonnet. Totally. I'm just throwing that out there. Not that I believe that, but we'll get into it. I'm not sure what I believe, but I'm not sure specifically what I believe because I have read like other witnesses and stuff and how like that can fit as well but in like just like what I feel in my heart of heart is that like it was internal but that's just me. So the following month after the DNA was finally tested a source reported that there were quote no surprises in the results of the DNA test but they never explained what they mean by that. So jump ahead a little bit to July 14th, 97, previously sealed autopsy results are released. They confirm deep ligature around the victim's neck and another around the right wrist as evidence showing that she had been bound and strangled. And also say that blood and abrasions were found in the girl's vaginal area and that she was struck on the head violently enough to cause bleeding and an eight and a half inch fracture to her skull. Huge fracture. Have you looked at the Patsy ransom note comparison? Not recently. Can I show it to you and then get your opinion? Sure. Because it is my opinion that she wrote the letter. (laughs) I will give you that it is very interesting. (laughs) It's very interesting. It's it's fucking weird. But so are some of the ones that are recently found. So we'll get into it. It doesn't get much closer. And... In the letter, four different ways of doing A's were used. And then in what they found from Patsy, they found that she used four different ways of doing A's that matched specifically the letter. Anyway, (laughs) this is like the part that I remember when I was getting into this case years and years ago. I was like, how could she have not written the letter? (laughs) Yeah. So that's why I keep going back there. But continue with the story. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. But we will get more into the letter here in a bit. So like I was saying about the autopsy, this part right here, this is where I wanted to talk to Brie about one of the autopsy photos. Because back in 1998, it could have been 1999, I don't know, but not the medical examiner, but a medical examiner did an interview giving his analysis of the pictures and what he had seen. And under her neck, just above the ligature line, were these little nicks that are almost shaped like a half moon. And there's a number of them there. That was, wasn't that, um, 
didn't the specialists say that they thought that that was caused by taser or something like that? You're thinking of the two marks. Oh. No, I'm talking about if you want to pull it up. Yeah, I'll pull it up because I don't know. Do you mean like these like scar looking marks? Yeah, and the red ones up, up above a little bit. This, so Couldn't that just be uh, blood cells bursting? Petechia? Due to it lack of oxygen? It could be, but this specific medical examiner made a point of saying this looked to him as though Jean Monnet was trying to get her fingers under the ligature to oh. save her own life. And she was kind of half moon digging into her own skin. This is what would be called like yeah. almost a defensive wound. Wound, Yeah, that would make sense. And then just quick question, because I can't fully remember everything. But was there ever a speculation that somebody got her through the window, like with the mm, no. whatever they use? They, I've never heard anything about any theory okay. that she, anybody ever got her out of the house. Okay. It's just, it's just, they just she didn't never get her left that far. the house for it. Right. Okay. So the reason why I'm making such a big deal out of this, the half moon little nicks and scrapes above the ligature on her neck, is because that says, if that's what they are, that says that Jean was very much alive and fighting for her life when the ligature was applied. Yeah. And her cause of death is strangulation. That's her main cause of death. The trauma to her head is undeniably catastrophic. That would have killed her on her own, on her own. But the newest theories that CBS documentary came out with was that JonBenet was first hit and then the garrote and sexual assault was done as a way to cover up the crime. Yeah, I remember that. But my problem is, so if she's hit and she's incapacitated and her skull is broken open. Yeah. You're not going to have these marks on her neck. She's not going to be fighting for her life. Or there's not going to be blood pooling because that gash in eight and a half inches long. And I don't know. I didn't write down exactly how wide it is. But there was that is a skull fracture like I have never seen. And unless, it is a child. Unless it the marks are defense wounds not caused by her. Somebody else had a moment of trying to help her. Maybe disagreed with what was going on. Hmm. Perhaps perhaps another child's fingernails or something like that. I, I'm just saying there's possibilities here where you really don't know unless you're a fly on the wall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. <laughs> to not know and have all of these and reputable people coming out with their own theories that sound reasonable. But there's always holes but there's to be the, poked. Yeah, and then there's the other... There's there's the other side of the fence where just as reputable people come out with theories that totally make sense and all seem to line up with evidence, but all you can poke holes in every bit of it. Like, it's mm -hmm. just so, like... It's so bizarre. Ugh. And even thinking that it's an internal job looking at, like, the brother and the dad and everybody just being like, well, I didn't do that. And, you know, you're you're going, yeah, no, I, I believe you because you look so earnest right mm -hmm. now. It's really hard. It's really difficult to figure it out. At the, at the end of the day, my the letter, like, guides my opinion. Mm -hmm. 
that's the only solid piece of like evidence you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that's the only piece that is undeniable yeah so at some point the police are constantly wanting to interview the ramses and after that six and a half hour interview of patsy their lawyers asked the police to see the evidence they that they have and when their request is rejected that Ramsey say, well, we're not talking to the police anymore because it sounds to us like you're trying to almost frame us. So we're done cooperating. Mm-hmm. That was the end of that. Hilariously, it so it took until November 1997 for the police to ask the Ramseys to hand over the clothes they were wearing the night of the crime. Just as bizarrely, it takes them two months, January, the end of January 1998, to actually hand over two shirts, a pair of pants, and a sweater. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, what What good is it going to do you over a year after, almost a full year after the murder happened, to get the clothes? And obviously, they didn't even still have the clothes that they all had on. Mm-hmm. It's just such a botched investigation. So in March of 1998 investigators formally call for a grand jury investigation since um like 15 months had already passed since the murder the case's lead investigator mark beckner said that there are significant results from all of the 1058 pieces of evidence that were taken from the home but no details about any of the evidence was ever shared. So on June 10th, 11th, and 12th of 1998, uh, John Bonet's older brother Burke, who was nine at the time, like we said before, he was the only one other than the parents known to be in the house that night, is finally questioned for the first time. And by the time they're questioning him, he's obviously, he's older, he's 11. Um, nobody gets to see those interrogations until Burke decides to give Dr. Phil an interview years down the road and I believe that was just a few years ago we do talk about that a little bit here shortly August 6 1998 detective Steve Thomas writes an eight-page resignation letter saying that the DA's office has crippled the case since elements have been thoroughly compromised the governor Roy Romer inquires as to whether he needs to step in and eventually he does. Um, Steve Thomas has always been the loudest voice of believing that the Ramses were guilty. He was one of the lead investigators and he helped steer the investigation towards the Ramses. Mm-hmm. And almost to a fault they had blinders on. Yeah. So Originally, obviously, we know that the Ramseys had said Burke was asleep the morning that his sister was discovered missing and murdered. He ended up saying that he didn't wake up until after the police arrived. But we talked about this before that the 911 tape um, had been enhanced a few years later. And supposedly that's Burke's voice that we can hear in the background. You got to have headphones on and you got to have your volume up. But I am like... I'm in the, I don't fucking know what to think, camp on that 911 call. Because, I mean, I can hear it. I can hear the part they're accusing, not accusing, but supposedly that John says, I can hear Patsy with the help me Jesus, help me Mm -hmm. Jesus. But what I cannot make out is Burke's voice saying, what did you find? I can't, and I'm not going to lie, I don't have the best equipment. We know this because of, uh, bias a book. We're trying to get there, but we're not there yet. But even with my earbuds in, I cannot hear Burke Ramsey say, what did you find? 
whatever they're claiming he said. Yeah, I can't hear that either. Yeah, and maybe like you do have some headphones, maybe you would be able to hear them. But I, I mean, I, I hate clips like that. If I'm being honest, mm-hmm. they're often. And who knows what could have been added by who? And I'm not saying that the police could have doctored, but they could have doctored. There something. are issues with technology as well. Once things start getting fuzzy and speckled and stuff, words and stuff can come out of that 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 weren't there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been proven time and time again on like ghost hunting channels and stuff like that, that things can come through and it's like, that sounded like this. And then when you're focusing on certain words, you find that it forms somehow. So yeah. Yanny, Laurel, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all the same type of shit. Mm-hmm. So me holding that as any type of evidence, like no. No. <laughs> No. So, Lou Smith was one of the main detectives as well, and he actually ends up resigning as well. He quits for the opposite reason, though. He says just too much focus is on the Ramses. Nobody is looking elsewhere. He said in his resignation letter that a very dangerous killer is still out there, and that gave the Ramses the fuel they needed to convince authorities to shift the focus of the investigation. That grand jury that convened starts hearing about the case, learning about forensic evidence like the DNA, hair, and fibers that were found at the scene. They also were able to tour the family's home. So they were able to check the scene out. They were able to review the evidence. They saw everything that the police had collected. Over a year later, on May 19, 1999, Burke Ramsey, who would have been 12 years old at that time, is questioned by the grand jury and he's officially declared a witness and not a suspect. So I had mentioned this interview before with Detective Arndt. This happened September 13th, 1999. Arndt said that she knows who the killer is without a shadow of a doubt, but she never said exactly who it was. But again, in what world is this okay? The entire interview goes around the finding of John Monet's body and how she felt about John and checking to make sure she had 18 bullets in her gun. I just, in what world is that okay? That is so unethical and just trying to gain public support for your shitty ass investigation. Like it was up to this officer to secure that crime scene. She allowed them to have people in their friends yeah their pastor victim services come on in yeah sure lay the body down here and then aren't herself move the body again for a second time like if somebody is to blame for the contamination of that scene it is this woman and retired or not the going on a news program giving an interview basically accusing somebody who hadn't been proven guilty and you haven't given any facts or evidence to prove your statement, so unethical and so wrong. And if this case is never solved, I would blame this detective Arndt. These cops were all looking to redeem themselves after fucking up the initial investigation. They honestly and truly believed that the Ramses were involved, but they, just spreading the unfounded theories, they made it impossible to have the case investigated thoroughly and without bias. It didn't matter if it was being investigated by law enforcement or in the court of public opinion. Them coming out and making those public statements made it impossible to find unbiased people to look into the facts of the case, in my opinion. 
The district attorney did come out and say that there was no sufficient evidence to charge anyone with the murder. And in the year 2000, JonBenet's parents hold a news conference to announce that lie detector tests confirm that they are innocent in the death of JonBenet. However, the test wasn't run by the FBI, and so the investigators did, they wouldn't accept the test. So this entire time, since 1993, Patsy Ramsey has had ovarian cancer. She had just beat the cancer in 1996 when she was uh, 40 years old. So that whole year was kind of a, a celebratory, she beat cancer kind of year. But on June 24th, 2006, Patsy passed away at the age of 49 from ovarian cancer. Um, she was actually diagnosed in 93 with stage 4 ovarian cancer. And that is usually a death sentence. So... I mean, that's sad. She went, if if she didn't write that note and if she didn't know truly what happened, then she died. She went to her grave not knowing, but I believe she probably found out the second that she got there what exactly happened. And then years go by and these speculations and these theories are rampant. They're coming and going. And every so often we see a new documentary or crime show pop up or podcast, whatever, but no real new information is coming up. I mean, there is suspect talk in the meantime that we're going to get into the suspects, but after 20 years, in 2016, Burke Ramsey sits down for that interview with Dr. Phil. He thought that it was probably some pedophile in the pageant audiences. Um, he said that statement twice during that interview. So that's what he thought. Yeah. And if it's an outside job, I think so as well. The person went to that and likely went to vigils. Before we get into the Burke Ramsey, Dr. Phil thing, I should probably say that back in 1999, the Colorado Grand Jury voted to indict the Ramseys on child endangerment and obstruction of a murder of investigation. But the prosecutor felt that the evidence didn't meet beyond a reasonable doubt standard, and he de declined to prosecute. I didn't say that they voted to indict them for murder, but in any case, the prosecutor wasn't interested in charging them with anything. So why even convene a grand jury? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're not going to charge them, I don't know, man. I just... I probably just reaching at uh, branches, trying to, trying to get something to stick. So we know that there are two base theories. Either family did it or an intruder did it. Yeah. The, the intruder theory had lots of physical evidence to support it. There was a boot print found next to JonBenet's body, which didn't belong to anyone in the family. And there but was DNA, right? For all we know that that boot print could have belonged to Fleet White. Yeah. But was there not like some kind of sample of DNA? There was DNA from drops of blood from an unknown male found yeah. on her underwear. Um, so I've seen pictures of this underwear and it's not like a lot of blood, but it's definitely there. Yeah. I feel like because, and I, I don't really want to talk too deep into it, but it was determined that the injuries on her little vagina were caused by pieces of the paint, ha paintbrush handle that had broken when they were making the garrot. So the blood droplets 
she may not have been actually sexually assaulted beyond a staging if you think of it in that small amount of injury and blood that there was could have come from uh, jagged wood from a paintbrush handle you know what I mean like I don't want to I don't want to get in because that's not good to I don't want to think about it but there was no the there was no evidence of sexual penetration yeah right so just the inner wall of her labia had an injury and inflammation and in my mind not that I think about it but in my mind finding out that she had been sexually assaulted with broken pieces of that paintbrush handle that had been used to create the garrote that would explain those injuries without saying that oh this pedophile intruder sexually assaulted her with a paintbrush handle but it could also be both no reason for him to do that that close to that area doesn't really make much sense and i know for a fact that y'all were taking photos in like 96 97 because like there's baby photos and stuff out there even of uh, my sister there's baby photos of her back in 93 and stuff are we saying that nobody ever got like a photo of the crowd at these freaking i'll get into that because yeah they did so we're going to get into the suspects now and I I purposely did not make this a deep dive and I I haven't touched on everything not even close to everything because I really 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 did not want this to be a two-parter but unfortunately it has turned into a two-parter <laughs> and in part 2 we will go over the suspects and um yeah more of the details <laughs> There's just so much to this case. That it doesn't matter if you're just grazing over everything. There's 20 some years of information that. And speculation. And speculation. It's just. It's a never ending story, sadly. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five star rating, it will help our show grow. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube at True Crime Story Podcast where the discussion can continue. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. You can also check out our Patreon and buy me a coffee in the link below. I'm Bree. And I'm sure. And we'll see you in part two. Bye. Bye.
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it will help our show grow. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube at True Crime Story Podcast, where the discussion can continue. Also, check out our Patreon and buy me a coffee in the link below. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm Char. And we'll see you on the next chapter. Bye. Bye. So we're going to get into the suspects now, and I I purposely did not make this a deep dive, and I, I haven't touched on everything, not even close to everything, because I really, really, really did not want this to be a two-parter, but unfortunately, it has turned into a two-parter, <laughs> and in part two, we will go over the suspects, and um, yeah. More of the details. <laughs> There's just so much to this case. That it doesn't matter if you're just grazing over everything. There's 20 some years of information that. And speculation. And speculation. It's just. It's a never ending story, sadly. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five star rating, it will help our show grow. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube at True Crime Story Podcast where the discussion can continue. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. You can also check out our Patreon and buy me a coffee in the link below. I'm Bree. And I'm Char. And we'll see you in the next chapter. Bye. Bye. AKA part two. <laughs> Maybe should I say that? And we'll see you on part two. And we'll see you in part two. Right? And we'll see you in part two. Bye. Bye.